Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. All right, we have reached the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat section of the Torah. We're entering this week into the stories about Joseph. Fun fact you might not know about me, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is maybe my favorite Broadway musical because it was my first. I used to listen to it on LP on my parents' record player when I was a kid, and I learned every word, specifically from the British 1970s version of the show. So as far as I've been concerned for most of my life, Joseph and Pharaoh and Potiphar all have different British accents. You can apply that as you wish as we make our way through this Parsha. Before I jump in, let me say a big thank you to our newest weekly supporter of the podcast, and that's Kelly Kane. Kelly became a supporter of 7-Minute Torah just this past week, joining a group of others who choose to give a small amount each week in order to support the production of 7-Minute Torah and support the dissemination and the production of liberal Jewish Torah learning. So thank you to Kelly, and thank you to all those who give. And if you'd like to become a supporter, you can do so at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash 7-Minute Torah. Now, Joseph. In the original version, he's not British, he's Hebrew. And we're reading this week from Vayeshev. Vayeshev is Genesis chapters 37 through 40. And it begins with the words, Vayeshev Yaakov be'eretz megore aviv. Jacob settled in the land where his father had sojourned, the land of Canaan. So the Parsha is almost immediately both backwards and forwards looking, because it tells us that the land where Jacob has settled after all his travels and all his travails is the same place where his father had settled. And later on, we're going to find out that that's the area of Hebron in the southern Judean hills. That comment connects us back with the stories that we've been reading over the course of the last six to eight weeks about Sarah and Abraham, about Rebecca and Isaac, about their covenants with God and their exercises in building family and continuity and tradition, and about Jacob's own exercises and activities in those areas as well. And yet at the same time, the Parsha looks forward because almost immediately after it tells us that Jacob settled down, it begins to tell us about his son, Joseph. For those who know the story, you know already that Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob. It says in the Torah because he was the son of his old age. Joseph is younger than the rest of the brothers, with the exception of Benjamin, who is Joseph's only full brother. Those are the two sons of Rachel. Rachel, of course, being the most beloved wife of Jacob. And so probably for that reason, Joseph is the favorite son. Now, we can't do the whole story here, so you'll just have to go watch the musical. But suffice it to say that Jacob treats Joseph differently than the rest of the brothers. He gives him this special coat, what Weber calls an amazing technicolor dream coat, but the Torah calls a ketonet pasim, a striped tunic or a colored tunic. 
and he treats him differently. And Jacob even asks Joseph to check up on his brothers. And that's the circumstance in which Joseph's brothers seize him and sell him into slavery and then tell their father that his beloved son is dead. Joseph is taken as a slave down into Egypt where he's sold and accused of a crime and thrown in jail. And when the Parsha ends, Joseph has taken this mighty tumble from the favored son of a patriarch in Canaan to a jailbird in Egypt. A forgotten jailbird, in fact. The last words of the Parsha say that the other courtiers had forgotten him. So, poor, poor Joseph, as the musical says, what you gonna do? Things look bad for you, hey, what you gonna do? And the answer is, actually, that Joseph is going to do something. So let's talk about Joseph for a moment. The commentators aren't always all that nice to him. The Midrash in Bereshit Rabbah says that Joseph was kind of showy and ostentatious. It says he made eyes at girls, he walked with a swagger, he styled his hair. And some of those maybe are things that teenagers do. Joseph is 17 here, but I think the Midrash is judging him for it. In fact, the Kliakar, who's a 16th, 17th century commentator, says that Joseph was a bit of a chameleon. He didn't use the word chameleon. He said when Joseph was with his brothers, he engaged in childish pursuits with them. But when he was with his old father, he acted as a serious elder. So we might call that an ability to adapt socially. But we might also look at it and say that Joseph has some insecurities. He's not quite sure who he is. And he's adjusting his behavior based on who he's with, rather than based on his own values, what he believes in. So the commentators want us to ask a question that sounds like, how did Joseph get himself into this mess? How did Joseph get himself to Egypt and to slavery and to prison? Which is an interesting and relatively harsh question, considering that the way he got to slavery is that his brother's took advantage of him. They sold him. They abused him. So why are the commentators being so hard on Joseph? Why are they blaming Joseph, so to speak, for what happened to him? And maybe the answer is that Joseph actually shows an incredible amount of agency throughout the Torah portion, even when things seem to be entirely out of his hands. I'll give you a couple of examples. Early in the Parsha, Joseph goes out in search of his brothers to bring back a report to his father, and he can't find them. I think a lot of us would have just gone back to dad and said, hey, I couldn't find my brothers. But Joseph instead talks to a stranger on the side of the road and finds out where they've gone and then goes and finds them. He gets himself sold into slavery for his trouble. But the point is he went above and beyond to do the job that had been asked of him. Later in the Parsha, once Joseph has already been thrown in jail, he interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's courtiers that are also in jail together with him. One of those two courtiers, Pharaoh's cupbearer, Joseph interprets his dream to mean that Pharaoh is going to forgive him and that the cupbearer, the butler, will have his job again. And again, that would have been enough. That's what was asked of him. But Joseph goes a step further. And says to this cupbearer, Call me to mind, keep me in mind 
when you're out there and things are going well. And we'll see next week that that request is what's responsible for Joseph going before Pharaoh. My third example is actually from next week's portion. Joseph is called upon to interpret the dream of the Pharaoh. His interpretation is essentially that Pharaoh is going to need to start rationing and working toward a famine that's coming. And Joseph, again, goes one step beyond and says, Pharaoh, I think you need to find somebody to put in charge of this effort. And that lands him the job that will ultimately put him in power in Egypt. So in each of these examples, and others throughout the Parsha, Joseph acts as though he's not down and out. No matter what's going on around him, no matter how bad things get, Joseph behaves as if he has agency in the situation. Can't find your brothers? Ask somebody. Thrown in jail? Ingratiate yourself with Pharaoh's courtiers. Standing before Pharaoh? Hint that he needs someone just like you to fulfill an important function. Joseph seems to believe in his own agency, in his own power to make his way through the world, no matter the situation. And that kind of optimism is very powerful because it affects the way that we act. If Joseph didn't believe it was ever possible for him to get out of jail, then he would have no reason to do anything besides languish in jail. But because he believes it's possible, even if he doesn't know what the solution looks like, he reminds the courtier to think of him later on. And because of that, Joseph gets out of jail. So it's almost like he got out of jail because he believed it was possible for him to get out of jail. Stephen Covey writes in his classic self-help book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, about what he calls proactivity. He says, I'm quoting here, it means more than merely taking initiative. It means that as human beings, we are responsible for our own lives. I think that is some of what Joseph is demonstrating in this Parsha. He doesn't always have it easy, but he essentially believes that he is responsible for what happens in his life. Not that he can control all circumstances, but that he can control how he acts in the circumstance, and by so doing, he has some control over how the circumstance ends up. I like that as a lesson for life. We all go through ups and downs in our lives. Sometimes we're going to be in the pit, so to speak. Sometimes we're going to be in Pharaoh's palace, and sometimes we're going to be strangers in a strange land. What we have control over is not our circumstances, but how we feel about and how we act in those circumstances. And that's actually quite a lot of control. In fact, as Joseph teaches us, we have a lot of power to bring a favorable outcome. And it starts, I think, by even believing that such an outcome is possible. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. To join one of our new weekly Torah study discussions on Zoom, go to micastreifer.com and click on Torah Study. Mm-hmm.